It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. And I am so excited that you are tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I know it's been a few weeks that we've been in this chapter, but again, I hope you've been blessed because of such rich content that we have covered here in this powerful letter from the Apostle Paul. And of course, we know that he is the pen whom God had chosen to convey this very powerful message to us. Even It's, it's so relevant even today, some 2,000 years later. It's written to the church, an instruction guide to the church of how we are to worship God. And, and of course, we know that there were a number of challenges in the, in the church there in Corinth, and, and Paul was setting them straight. He, he was uh, getting them back on course, and we tend to do that even in 2019. We, we can find ourselves getting a bit off course, being uh, drawn astray, uh, enticed by some of the things that we hear and uh, sound very spiritual uh, when we can find ourselves off course. And so this letter is is critical even to us today. And so I want you to just really listen into these powerful words. We're going to just cover two verses But these two verses are really going to set us up for a very deep conversation here today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 to 31, and we wrap up chapter 1 with these verses. Let's uh, let's read. If you have your scripture, please turn with me. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that at it is written, he who glories... Let him glory in the Lord. So what he's saying here, and and I'll take this apart here, is we're, as you'll notice, if you visit us at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley, we're an expository church. We go through these verses verse by verse and really examine the context here. And this is a deep one, because here what we're reading is that Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that's who he is for us. So therefore, anything that comes out of us, anything of our position with him because of him, if we are to celebrate, if we are to glory, if you will, to get excited about something, it it should be because of all the work that Christ Jesus has done in and through us. In fact, in Philippians, Apostle Paul will write once again that anything good that comes out of us is really because of him. Our, Our normal way of thinking is truly in opposition to God's unsullied holiness, He is so holy, so perfect, and what we find ourselves doing is trying to bring him down to our level when what we have to understand is that our way of thinking is not normal in God's holy, perfect heaven. It is is the opposite, quite frankly, and in fact, what we find is that most of how we navigate life, the decisions that we make, have a very me-centric ideology. It's not God-centric. It's not truly agape love on display. It's not the, the, the way we operate. We, we have to be constantly re, I don't know, brought back on proper heading. We've got to be challenged and stretched and moved. And as possible, the Apostle Paul will tell us to be, to be buffeted, to be dis- disciplined, if you will, back on course, because this is a daily 
challenge that is before us. We, we think that just when we have it figured out, one moment we are worshiping on cloud nine with Jesus Christ and, and just just filled with the spirit. You've read some great scripture. You feel so good about yourself. And the very next moment, you find yourself going back and acting like the old man. And so therefore, we're required to abide in him in order to keep the old man at bay. And so anything good that comes out of us is all to his glory. It is by his doing, literally of him, that you are in Christ Jesus to begin with. He is both the source and the cause of the Corinthians being in Christ. So the believer is described here very simply as one who is in Christ. You know, you can't really be any closer to something than being in it. In fact, we can read in Romans 8.10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. And we can read in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That, that's our position as born-again believers. God the Father, you see, he sees you and me as part of, of his son. This is just one of many reasons a true believer can't lose his or her salvation. And I add that word strongly, a true believer. As we read in Matthew chapter 7, it is quite obvious that there are those who may look the part and sound the part, but they've never truly confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. They've never truly taken up their cross to follow him. They, they don't model it. They certainly don't produce fruit of it, but they look the part. And Matthew 7 talks about that a great deal. And, and in fact, it says that these who will claim and say, look at all the things we've done in your name, to which the Lord will say, I never knew, I never knew you, depart from me. So powerful and very convicting words. But the true believer is one with Christ. In fact, a new creation. And once you're a new creation, you can't become an old creation again. You can certainly act like the old man. And in 1 John chapter 3 and 4, we in fact, that's what we're covering right now in Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley in that study of 1 John chapter 3, and now we're in chapter 4. And it is quite clear from the Apostle John that we can, in fact, look like the old man. We, we could start to even act as one who hates their brother, uh, and which becomes even the root of murder itself from Matthew chapter 5. So we can easily act like the old person, but it doesn't change the fact that we are still a new creation. We, we're just not perfect. <laughs> I really wish the Holy Spirit would make us perfect. Uh, but we're a new creation according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. And we can see Matthew 7.21-23 for those who look the part, as I mentioned, but not true in their faith. So if things were not to, to become something new, if they, if, if Scripture doesn't add like a little caveat here that if we are something new and then suddenly can be undone, that that's not possible. Here he says we become something new, not because of our own works, but because of Him. It's because of His work that we are transformed by the washing and renewing of our minds. We become something else as we become the, the temple even of the Holy Spirit. And so it's quite magnificent. So in Him, believers receive true wisdom and right standing before God, righteousness because of Christ Jesus. And we have moral cleansing, sanctification, holiness, a rescue from the slavery that we were once in to sin, which is called redemption. And Paul writes, because of these wonderful gifts, we can boast, but not boasting in ourselves, we're boasting in him. But just as you said, God chose 
those who have nothing to brag about. That's what we talked about earlier, that God chooses those, those who have nothing to brag about. So Christians can properly boast, and that's where he gets the word a glory. They can properly boast, but not in their own achievements, but rather in the Lord, as in Jeremiah 9.24, where this is where Paul quotes from this. In fact, when we look at Jeremiah 9.23, he says, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. And so you see here that word glory is the same, same word used for boasting. So then we say, look what God has done, not look what we have done. So those who are, are precisely the three categories here that Paul is really highlighting in, in, in chapter 1, verse 26 specifically. So we can boast, but we're to boast in Christ. May our boasting be not in what we do for Christ, but rather in what Christ does for us. In fact, you've probably heard this said before from James Denny, no man can give an ounce of the impression that he himself is clever and that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. You can impress people with your cleverness or you can impress people with Jesus, but you can't do both. You see, God chooses whom he pleases, and he does so by often choosing those whom the world overlooks. So if we believe what this passage is teaching, it will ultimately change the way we look at ourselves, and it will change the way we talk about ourselves. Some of us talk so much about ourselves that we hardly talk about the Lord at all. And our real problem is the vast difference between our view and God's view. So even though I'm chosen by God and I'm included in his plan, I can still feel like a nobody. And if you think you are too small to be effective, then you've never been a mosquito in a tent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just said that. You know, We think something can be too small to be really effective. We can think that, wow, I'm chosen by God, but I really don't feel like I'm making a difference in his kingdom. I, I, is that really what it's all about? I'm chosen, but I don't feel so chosen. And maybe I can't really make a dent for eternity after all. And boy, we have really taken the wrong view of ourselves. Uh, because in God's eyes, he calls us a royal priesthood. He, he calls us more than conquerors. We are children of the Most High. And our prayer life is anything but that. It doesn't sound like we're children of God. In fact, if we give God the time at all, it feels like we're just giving him maybe just the, the little leftovers at the end of the day, as opposed to really abiding in his presence and understanding the power in our prayer and that God is moving mountains in our culture. And that's why I just wanted to bring that up to make you laugh a little bit, that if you've ever camped and you think that uh, you know something can't be too can be too small to be uh, effective or impact you at all. Well, then you haven't been in a tent recently with a mosquito in your tent because that little mosquito can drive you crazy. So I- indeed, you you know you're not too small. God can use you mightily. I want to assure you that God has you right where He wants you. If you feel average, weak, or foolish, then welcome to the club. God can use you mightily. In fact, you look to Noah. He was rejected by society. He, he built an ark for a hundred years and had no converts. You look to Abraham. Abraham offered to share his own wife with another man. Not once, but twice. Why? Because he was fearful. You look to Joseph. He was ostracized by his dysfunctional family, and he possessed a, a prison record. How about Moses, a modest and meek man, but a poor communicator. He even stuttered at times, 
and he even committed murder. How about David? David had an affair with his neighbor's wife. He murdered her husband to avoid charges. So he had an affair with this woman, murdered the husband, then tried to cover it up. How about Elijah? He was prone to depression, collapsed under pressure. Jeremiah, emotionally unstable, an alarmist, negative, always lamenting things. How about Hosea? His wife was a prostitute. Peter, aggressive, hot-tempered fisherman, loose cannon, who denied Christ three times. Yes, Moses, David, and Paul, all guilty of murder before God called them, really, and, and, and raised them up despite themselves. So I praise God that when Jesus took the full punishment of the cross, he opened his arms wide enough to take all unto himself, no matter what their past, even taking with him a criminal hanging at his side, according to Luke 23, 39 to 43. So if we call on the name of Jesus in repentance, no one can snatch you from the grasp of the Savior. According to John chapter 10, verses 28 to 30, I love that verse. Because it reminds us, it, it, it stabilizes us, it can give us strength because we have a firm footing when people tell us or maybe we feel like we can lose our salvation or maybe we're not saved at all. You go back to John chapter 10 verses 28 to 30 that his grasp is sure and he will not let anyone fall through his grip that belongs to him. And so the only thing that may be missing in our life is have we truly confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead because the promise is assured that we will be saved. So ordinary people of faith can do extraordinary things for God if they're elevated by Christ and Christ alone, not in their own strength. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses was called by God, and I love right out of the gate in Exodus chapter 3 that, that Moses tried to make excuses for God, that he couldn't be used by Almighty God. In fact, he talked about his own self-doubt, his lack of authority, his fear of rejection, his fear of public speaking, even his fear of the overall assignment. He even asked God to, to use someone else. You know, I'm not the man for the job. He, and God countered Moses' self-doubt with the assurance that he would be with him. He, he countered Moses' lack of authority with his very name, like a king's signet ring. He countered Moses' fear of rejection by giving him the ability to even perform miracles. And he countered Moses' fear of public speaking with the assurance that he would be with Moses every single step and even put the words in his mouth. And then finally, he countered Moses' overall fear of the assignment by even giving him another to come alongside him, Aaron, a man who would be his confidant and helper. And, and this recorded dialogue then shows us that even the chosen were fearful. They're not machines impervious to human emotion, but Christ himself suffered from the fear of torture and pain that he would experience on the cross. He understands then that we also can get fearful. And we read in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, Father, if you were willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He knew that he was about to experience pain like no man could endure. And it affected him deeply. He wasn't absent from the, the feelings that we have in our human emotion of fear or loss. He wept when Lazarus died. Even though he had the power to bring him back to life, he understood 
the pain that his brothers and sisters felt and their grief. He wasn't absent from that. We have a God who understands, as we read in Hebrews, we have a mediator who understands your position. So here we have two extremes. One is we can be boasting in ourselves of patting ourselves on the back. Look what I have done. Oh, that's the opposite of what God is looking for. Here in 1 Corinthians 1, it says he's looking for the weak and the foolish and the broken. And so then, so then we take that position and saying, well, I am one of those weak, foolish, and broken. And then we think we can't make a dent in this world. And to the contrary, we can now boast in the Lord because he's the one doing all of this great work through us. And that's why he chooses us weak, broken, foolish people, because he knows that we can take no credit upon ourselves. When God is present, when he is working mightily in your life, we need to be prompt to say, Lord, glory be to your name. Look what you and you alone have you alone have done. It is not by my hand, but by yours. Elijah, who was a mighty prophet of the Lord, was overwhelmed with fear when Jezebel put a bounty on his head. He, he was afraid and ran for his life. Listen to this. First Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 5. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. In another case study, we see Jacob trembling in fear with this anticipation of meeting his brother Esau for the first time since stealing his birthright and his blessing in Genesis 32, 1-12. Yet on the same journey, Jacob had just wrestled fearlessly with the living God and received a blessing. In Hebrews chapter 11, known as the faith chapter, we read of men and women of faith who stood firm in the face of persecution and even death. And yet each of these faithful believers had weaknesses, made mistakes, experienced fear, and other human emotions. Even though they had faith in God, even though they were chosen and maybe felt like they couldn't make a dent in this world, God chose them because God often selects men and women who appear unqualified in the eyes of the world to perform great and mighty deeds in his power. David is another ex- excellent example of this. God was grieved when you when you look to the Israelites who demanded a king that, that they would be like all the other nations— God was grieved that they had rejected him as their king, but he relents and he gives them what they want in 1 Samuel 8, 4-9. He he appoints the prophet Samuel to select the first king of Israel and directed him to anoint Saul. The scriptures say that Saul was a head taller than any of the other Israelites. Even Samuel was in awe of his stature and said, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people in verse 24 of of chapter 10 there, but we know that as a king, Saul turned away from the Lord and made decisions that brought God's judgment upon the entire nation, according to 1 Samuel 15. So God intervened and selected another king, one whose heart was fully committed to him. And so when Samuel arrived at the home of Jesse, he immediately saw the brothers. In fact, he says there in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 6 to 8, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And as that story continues, we read that David wasn't even in the room with his brothers at the time. His father, Jesse, thought one of the other seven brothers would make a fine king, since they were all tall, well-spoken, and distinguished-looking. They were the perfect specimens 
perfect for leadership in the eyes of men, but God knew that they were not the right ones for the job. So Jesse then sends for David. David enters the room. Samuel appoints him king of Israel. And this young shepherd boy would become one of the greatest kings the whole world has ever known. So God selected other unlikely people to serve him. Time and time again, we see the Apostle Paul told Timothy then to stay strong and persevere, adding, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity, according to 1 Timothy 4.12. So Timothy struggled, as we have read, with the issues of authority, because as a young pastor, he had to teach and reprimand even older men. So the disciples Christ had handpicked were looked down as well. They, uh, people looked down upon them because they were not educated men. As we go to Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we read, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love that because they had no personal claim to the knowledge and authority that was coming out of them, they were able to exalt Christ alone, and his authority is their testimony. Their weaknesses were now their strength, because they could not claim it as their own. Anything good that was coming out of them, anything that they could boast of, was holy for the Lord. They knew that they weren't that person, that in the eyes of men, they probably appeared weak and foolish, but they had to see that God was doing something. Even these naysayers who would look upon them, they noticed that something was different. God was in the work here because these men had no education. How could they speak like this? It was all to the glory of the Lord. The point is this, when Moses laid down his fears before the Lord, he was speaking on behalf of all of us. Each of us would have trembled as well at this particular assignment. He was asking him to do something that was bigger than himself. And many of us, when we are, are coming face-to-face -face with a possible ministry assignment, when we think about even serving our spouse, our spouse with 100% agape love, when we are going to serve them like loving them like Jesus loved, when we are going to put ourselves out there, open ourselves up to vulnerability, taking down those walls and saying, I may be rejected when I am being 100% obedient. I may put myself out there and the world may even hate me, as Jesus says that they will. Because if we're of the light, the darkness will naturally despise the light. And we don't like that. We don't like having to stand out at times. We don't like being rejected when we are opening ourselves up with such love and compassion to others and then not understanding why they're rejecting us because as the world thinks is not how the Lord thinks. And as we draw closer to the Lord and realizing how weak we are in the flesh and how strong he is and we take hold of his strength and not our own strength and watch him work mightily through us, then he and he alone receives all the glory. And of course, we may get hurt in the process. You know, when I was taking lifeguard training classes, and I talked about this to the church this past weekend, that one thing they really reminded and drove home for us was the fact that when we would be put into a position, it wasn't a matter of if, but when, when that moment would come in which we'd have to go out and administer life-saving techniques, it was inevitable that we would be hurt. In some way, 
that person who's in a moment of panic, perhaps drowning in that moment, they were going to hurt you in some way as you were trying to save their life. And this is true of the Christian as well. If we put ourselves out there, if we are boasting in all the glory that God is doing through us and for us, and we realize our humble and contrite position before him, and then we serve him faithfully, not turning a blind eye to our brothers, not pretending that it's all about us anymore, that when we become when we become God-centric rather than me-centric, and then we start serving faithfully, and the fruit of our labors is to his kingdom and not for ours, there is an inevitability that we will be hurt in so doing. But we are told in 1 John chapter 4 that this builds confidence in the believer because we know where our strength comes from. We know our proximity to the throne of grace, and we understand that our prayers are then heard and who we really are as children of God. That becomes our identity, and we boast then in the greater work of God. If God could use all of those men, all of those who looked like failures in the eyes of men, and God built them up and God used them to his glory, he can use us as well. In Christ, we are cleansed and forgiven, thoroughly equipped through the Holy Spirit to do mighty things for God. I hope you've been encouraged by this message. We have now finally wrapped up chapter one of Corinthians, and now we'll be moving into chapter two next week. I hope you've been blessed so far by our study in this powerful book, and I know you'll be further encouraged as we go forth. If you want to to, listen to previous broadcasts, I'd encourage you to do that. Go to calvaryfountain.com. Again, this is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship. Fountain Valley. You can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. And you can watch a live stream there as well right on our website. We hope you've been blessed and we look forward to seeing you soon and worshiping with you. God bless you, my friends.